This episode of Tales from Ostlantis is brought to you by Ostlantis Premium. Don't you just hate having your favorite podcast interrupted by ads like this? Well, dear listener, you're in luck. Because starting at just three bucks a month, you can support independent Chicano media and receive ad-free episodes, premium episodes, bonus content, and access to our Discord server. Just visit talesfromastlantis.com and click Go Premium, or follow the link in the show notes. And now, on with the show. You must excuse me. I've grown quite weary. This hasn't been easy, I know. But you've learned a lesson. A lesson in honesty. Honesty to yourself and honesty to others. That lesson will stand you in good stead all your life. I think we've all learned a good lesson. I've always heard that honesty is the best policy. Now I'm catching on to why that's so, 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 why that's so. Yali no chime, and welcome to Tales from Astlantis, the show where we explore Mesoamerican pseudo history, New Age nonsense, and other stories of adventure. We are your hosts, Curly Tlapoyawa and Ruben Arellano, also known as Tlacatecat. Today, we're going to switch it up a little bit. We are joined by the New Mexico state historian, Rob Martinez. State historian Rob Martinez is a native New Mexican born and raised in Albuquerque. A graduate of the University of New Mexico, Rob has presented papers and lectures on his research at history conferences throughout the southwestern United States. Mr. Martinez is also a folk musician, performing and promoting New Mexican musical traditions for the past 20 years with his brother Lorenzo and their father, Roberto Martinez, in the group Los Reyes de Albuquerque. And today, we're going to be talking about a subject near and dear to my heart, the myth of New Mexican Spanish. Perhaps the most pervasive myth among New Mexican Spanish speakers is that New Mexican Spanish is an archaic and pure form of Spanish. This idea comes from the misconception that New Mexico existed in a continuous state of isolation, separated from the rest of New Spain and the later Mexican Republic by hundreds of miles and for hundreds of years, causing its colonial inhabitants to retain the language of 16th century Spain. This idealized vision of Spanish purity is repeated so often and with such near-religious zeal, it is simply accepted as fact in many circles. However, this romanticized version of New Mexican Spanish simply does not exist. For this episode... I will rely a great deal on the works The Spanish Language of New Mexico and Southern Colorado, A Linguistic Atlas, by Garland D. Bills and Nettie V. Hill, as well as the Ph.D. dissertation Archaism and Innovation, A Diachronic Perspective on New Mexico Spanish, by Juan Antonio Trujillo. Now, if you've not done so already, I encourage our listeners to go back and check out episode three of this podcast titled New Mexico has a Hispano white nationalism problem. In that episode, we examine the Hispano attempts to erase their mixed blood indigenous ancestry and recast themselves as the descendants of noble Spanish explorers. It is an excellent episode, if I do say myself, and will provide more context to today's topic. Interestingly, one of the main sources of the archaic New Mexican Spanish myth is not a historical document, nor an ethnographic or linguistic study, but rather the 1976 novel The Milagro Beanfield War by John Nichols. This book, which was adapted into a 1988 film directed by Robert Redford and starring Ruben Blades and Sonia Braga, helped to reinforce the pseudo-historical narrative of New Mexico Spanish in the following excerpt. Acheco could not stand the way Onofre, reading aloud in Spanish, pronounced his C's and Z's. He pronounced them with the Castilian th sound, that is, with a lisp, 
an affectation peculiar to many of the Miracle Valley's old-timers, whereas it could not be found farther south in Mexico. The reason for this being that Onofres and Seferino Pacheco's ancestors had come from Spain four centuries before, traveled to this godforsaken place in the high Rockies, and then been cut off from civilization for 300 years, thus maintaining many of the purities of their Spanish language and in their Spanish customs. Claims like... Hey, Curly, so you're, you're going to ruin this for me? This movie? I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. My family's in the movie, by the way. Really? Yeah, the, the scene okay. in the big house where there's a mariachi playing and they're kind of giving the owner's dirty looks. That's my brother Lorenzo and my dad's group, Los Reyes. <laughs> right on. Well, see, now you have more of a reason to watch the movie, Ruben. <laughs> and me too now. I got to go back and watch it. Claims like these are repeated daily by the Hispanos of northern New Mexico. However, these claims are not accurate and are rooted in a pseudo-historical reimagining of New Mexican history that seeks to erase the mixed-blood indigenous character of the original New Mexican colonists – who, along with Mesoamerican indigenous warriors, farmers, and servants, made up the majority of the colonists. As Juan Antonio Trujillo notes, Despite the New Mexico Hispanics' insistence, the majority of the original colonist groups were not of European Spanish origin, but rather mestizo immigrants of modest means recruited along the colonial highway leading north from Mexico City. To cling to the Spanish myth is to ignore the complexity of New Mexico's colonial era history, which in reality is quite different and far more fascinating than any notion of archaic Spanish purity can offer. The Indios Mexicanos that made up the bulk of New Spain's northward expansion brought with them many rich linguistic and cultural traditions, the impacts of which are felt to this very day. These Indios Mexicanos spoke a variety of Mesoamerican languages, but the Nahuatl language of the Aztecs would have the largest impact on the way Spanish is spoken in New Mexico. Nahuatl language loanwords, damn it. Nahuatl language loanwords are known as Aztecismos, and their prominence in New Mexican Spanish is a testament to a Mesoamerican legacy that mainstream New Mexican historians often ignore. It is quite possible that this historical amnesia is intentional, stemming from the fact that the mere presence of these Aztecismos represents an inconvenient truth, dispelling the myth of New Mexico's Spanish purity. As noted by Bills and Vigil, It is the contribution from Nahuatl, the language of the Aztec Indians of central Mexico, that provides the most palpable demonstration that New Mexican Spanish is really Mexican Spanish, not pure Castilian Spanish. So prevalent is the impact of Nahuatl on New Mexican Spanish that in many cases, commonplace Spanish language words are ignored in favor of their Nahuatl-based equivalent. Examples of this are cuate, twins, chapulín, grasshopper, tocayo, namesake, Zacate, grass, popote, straw, soquete, mud, jicara, bowl, and tecolote, owl. Two prominent New Mexican neighborhoods bear Nahuatl names, Atrisco in Albuquerque from Atlisco, or facing the water, and Analco in Santa Fe, which means on the other side of the water in Nahuatl. Situated across the street from the historic San Miguel Church in Santa Fe is a plaque commemorating the establishment of Analco by Mesoamerican settlers. Of course, the most obvious example of Nahuatl influence is the very name of the state itself, Nuevo Mexico. The name is a combination of two words, the Spanish Nuevo, meaning new, and the Nahuatl word Mexico, or Mexico, meaning the place of Mexitli. The Codex Chimalpain references the search for a Yanquic Mexico, a literal New Mexico, located to the north, where the ancestors of the Mexica may have originated before settling in the valley of Anahuac. 
It was this search for a Yanquic Mexico that motivated the northward expansion of New Spain, a task largely carried out by Mesoamerican auxiliaries labeled simply as Indios Mexicanos in colonial documents. Now, it's worth noting that the Mesoamerican legacy of New Mexico and southern Colorado also lives on in the genetic imprint of their Chicano populations. On principle, I do not use labels such as Hispano or the more culturally confused, in my opinion, Indo-Hispano, popularized by the millennialist cult leader Reyes Lopez Tijerina, but that's another discussion altogether and an episode we will be having in the future. Genetic studies revealed that the average Chicano living in the San Luis Valley is at least one-third genetically indigenous, with an overwhelming majority of that native blood coming from their mother's DNA. Despite this, Hispanics living in New Mexico and southern Colorado tend to reject any indigenous identity and desperately cling to the myth of Spanish purity. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's impossible to find archaic expressions in New Mexican Spanish. However, this is common in all regional dialects of any language, and it's certainly not unique to New Mexico. Nor is the existence of a handful of archaic terms proof of some magical connection to an ancient and pure form of Spanish unknown anywhere else. The reality is, the Spanish spoken in New Mexico and southern Colorado is a blend of Spanish, Nahuatl, North American indigenous words, regional slang, English, and even words in Arabic. The idea that New Mexican Spanish is pure anything, quote-unquote, is patently absurd. The influence and contributions made by Mesoamerican people to the state of New Mexico and southern Colorado have been ignored for far too long. A few years ago, I was pleased to discover that the Albuquerque Museum unveiled an exhibit depicting Mesoamericans as part of the settling of New Mexico. Hopefully, this represents a coming shift in the way New Mexico's history is presented, and the presence of Mesoamerican people will finally be fully recognized. Regardless, Mesoamericans have left an indelible mark on New Mexico, and Totacho, our way of talking, remains. So nice. Yeah. Nice. And thank you, Rob, mm -hmm. for contributing your reading my reading and vocal skills there you go that's so yeah thank you for for well, coming on the show for having, thank you for having me it's good to be here this is an uh amazing topic it's one that keeps us well talking a lot right i think yeah, it's, it's a very absolutely. important it's important to talk about this so you are the new mexico state historian so what does like, what does a state historian do? What does your uh, your job encompass? Well, um, I have a master's degree from UNM in Latin American history with an emphasis on New Mexico. Um, I've also worked for the Sephardic Project of New Mexico, researching in places like Mexico, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Spain, Italy, and France. And then I was a teacher of high school history for 10 years, uh, teaching New Mexico history, world history. That was an incredible education for me, not just my students. And then mm -hmm. I became the deputy state historian. Uh, I did that for six years. And then for uh, two years, right now is about my anniversary, two-year anniversary being state historian. And the, the division of the Office of the State Historian is at the New Mexico State Records Center and Archives in Santa Fe. And the mission of the Office of the State Historian is to preserve and promote New Mexico history and culture through original research, through presentations, education, outreach, and to uh, help uh, broaden uh, understanding of our state's history for state agencies and citizens alike. So um, it's a really cool job, but I, I also take it very seriously because it's also a big responsibility, in my opinion. Absolutely. So this topic here of New Mexico Spanish, I remember when, because I'm from Southern Colorado, um, my family's from New Mexico, moved up to Southern Colorado. But when we basically moved back to New Mexico, I remember one of the first things that was told to me was that, 
you know, we're, I was standing at the bus and the kid next to me was like, hey, where are you from? And I told him my name. He's like, oh, are you Spanish? And I was like, nah, bro, I'm a Chicano because, you know, that's that's what I grew up calling myself. I'm a Chicano. I'm a child of the Chicano movement. And he was like, Chicano? What, you mean like a Mexican? And like the the words just dripped from his mouth. Like, oh, I, I could just tell right there, like, oh, man, he, here we go. He said it with the Mexican accent. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, more, more of a New Mexican accent. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. And this kid was like, the, I mean, that was one of the first things he told me. He was like, well, here we speak like an ancient Spanish. And I was like, really? I don't know. It, it, it piqued my interest. This was like junior high when this happened. And then, you know, living here from junior high forward, it was like that that idea was kept getting reinforced and reinforced and mm-hmm. brought up. And I'm yeah. like, where does this come from? Because... I don't know. My grandparents are from northern New Mexico, southern Colorado, and they've never claimed to speak like an an ancient form of Spanish. We'll be back after a quick break. Have you picked up your Mexica calendar for the year 12 Flint? Or how about a paperback copy of The Four Disagreements? Just visit talesfromastlantis.com for all the latest merchandise and show some love for your favorite podcast. That's talesfromastlantis.com for all the latest merchandise. Now, back to the show. Well, I think we have to look at uh, our history. That's a good place to start, right? I mean, our Spanish language in New Mexico reflects our history, meaning it's vitally mixed and it's uh, alive and it's vibrant um, and it reflects all the different peoples that have been here and have come here over the past 500 years or so. Um, We have to remember uh, uh, the the Pueblo people are here first. They're the first Nuevo Mexicanos. They're the first New Mexicans and they're they're multilingual. They have their own languages. They don't speak Puebloan. They don't Mm -hmm. speak Indian. They speak uh, different languages, Tiwatoa, Keres, all kinds of different languages. So they're diverse already. And then you have to uh, look at the different peoples coming in, the Comanche, the Apache, the Navajo, they have their own languages. The Spanish come. And when we say the Spanish, that's always a difficult term to use because um, it, it's kind of a, a catch-all term that assumes European and the mm-hmm. Oñate colonization of 1598, you know, I, I hear people say, oh, I descend from the Oñate colonists. Well, that means you descend from Spanish people, Mestizo people, Mulato people, Mexican Indian people. You, you descend mm-hmm. from a lot of different people because it was an international group that came up here. And so all these people are speaking with each other and affecting the language. Okay, so so you had, you know, someone like Bartolomé Romero's from Spain. <clears throat> He's spending time in Mexico City. So is uh, Bartolomé Montoya. They're hanging out and they come up with Oñate and people like Hernán Martín Serrano, who's Spanish, but from Zacatecas and what's now Mexico. He's speaking a certain way. They're interacting with uh, Mexican Indian warriors and servants and settlers and mestizos who speak a Spanish that is partly from their fathers who are Spanish and partly from their mothers who are native. And out of the gate, you already have a Spanish that is likely not very much like what you would hear in Spain in 1598. Mm-hmm. And it's all... I think something something that, that needs to be uh, also addressed is that when people think of the Spaniards who are settling the Southwest, what we now call the Southwest back then, it would have been the the far northern frontier of New Spain and then later Mexico. A lot of these people, when they call themselves Spanish, it's not a reference to an ethnicity. It's a reference to a a class, a political class, an economic class in Mexico. So to call yourself Spanish would be kind of the equivalent of people calling themselves Americans today that come from diverse backgrounds. Well, you're talking about the caste system. This is the caste system. Right. But but what I'm saying is that that people, people often confuse when they read it in a book that these people were Spanish back in the when they were colonizing and settling the Southwest, 
they they think of it in terms of ethnicity. They don't think that the term Spanish itself is actually referring to a casta or a system of classification that has nothing to really. It was. Do I mean, look, we have to look at the people that right? came from Spain in the 1500s. They were not pure anything. They were mestizo people who were uh, had European ancestry. They had Roman, Visigoth, Moorish, Muslim, North African. They had a uh, Sephardic Jewish. They were there were Canary Islanders that were part Berber. These people are coming over here to say they're European. Even to say that is a bit of a stretch already. So by the time they come right. here, they're used to mixing. That's why they mixed so easily with the Aztec Nahuatl people that were in the Valley of Mexico, and then they come up here. And, and the language they're speaking in the uh, late 1500s and 1600s. It's about 30% Arabic. It comes from vulgar Latin. The Romans colonized Spain a couple of centuries before the time of Christ. Um, and they bring vulgar, vulgar Latin just meant the Latin of the people. It was the language of the streets, okay? Um, and that is where we get the roots of Spanish. But, you know, the Muslims are there 700 years. They're speaking Arabic. They're speaking Uh, dialects from North Africa. It's mixing the Sephardic Jews speak Ladino, which is a form of Spanish, but it's also the Jewish, uh, Sephardic Jewish form of the language. This is all mixing in the marketplace back home where families are uh, integrating and coming together. So they come up to uh, uh, Mexico and then New Mexico. And over the centuries, it's it's mixing, just like uh, you said in that uh, introduction Um, we Oñate and and his colonists were already saying chocolate, tomate. They mm-hmm. were already saying these Nahuatl words. It already wasn't just Spanish from Spain, you know. And this evolves uh, over the centuries. Uh, we have to look at, um, as uh, Ruben said, look at the casta system. Um, it was a system of trying to organize uh, humanity. Uh, in racial categories, a very racially uh, uh, charged society that wanted to maintain mm-hmm. Spanish European dominance, not American Spanish, but European Spanish dominance at the top. And then after that came, if you were born in the Americas as a but Spanish of, of real Spanish parents, then you were criollo, and that's not what the New Mexicans were. They were not criollos. Then, as Ruben points out, you have the casta system. So at the top is the term Espanol. This is where we get a lot of confusion. Espanol typically meant you had some Indian blood, native blood. But you Mm -hmm. had uh, married enough castizos and mestizos to where, uh, for lack of a better term, it's whitewashed, okay? But it's there. It's there. It's Mexican Indian because a lot of these colonists have grandmothers that were Mexican Indians or, or moms. Juan Griego's wife was a Mexican Indian. Uh, the, uh, Bartolome Montoya, his wife was a Mexican Indian. We descend from not just those guys. We descend from uh, the women, uh, uh, Pascuala Bernal and Maria Zamora. These are uh, Mexican Indian women. They're also part of our story. And they are teaching their kids how to speak Spanish, too. And they're and they're speaking. But it's a little, it it's a little bit accent. more nuanced. They're not speaking it like people it's a little bit more Spain. nuanced. In in that you also had people who were um, phenotypically and and in terms of like their genetic makeup were predominantly indigenous, mm-hmm. but if they married into a Spanish family, they would be classed as Spanish by default just because they got married. Well, into exactly. That family. I mean, this, this Casta right. system was so, heavily enforced in Mexico City and Puebla. There is a term right. called passing for Spaniard. And you mm-hmm. could get into exactly. trouble if you were a mestizo or an indio or a castizo trying to pass for an Espanol. Right. But in New trying Mexico, we're on the edge of empire. We're... In, mm-hmm. in, in New Mexico, the mestizo becomes the Espanol class because there are no Espanolas here. There right. aren't any from Spain except your priests coming here and your governors. And we have reports from them. We have reports from uh, 1631 uh, Fray Esteban de Perea. He, he says that the Pueblo Indians are a bad influence on the, the uh, uh, Espanolas. But he says the Espanol class are 
are superstitious, they're gossipy, they're mixed blood. We, we see this throughout the centuries and we hear what they say because they write it down and what they think about our Spanish. Um, Dominguez in Missions of New Mexico, he said that um, in uh, places like Santa Fe or Albuquerque that uh, they speak the Castilian tongue simply and naturally among themselves with the exception of the Europeans and other people from lands educated in speaking with courtly polish. In other words, we spoke peasant, rural Spanish. But what's more telling to me is what he says here. He says, um, my remark that speaking Spanish in a simple manner applies to the Spaniards was made with due reflection, for there are a number of Henisaro Indians in this via who after being ransomed from the pagans by our people are then emancipated to work out their account under them. Although they are servants among our people, they are not very fluent in speaking and understanding Castilian perfectly. For however much they may talk or learn the language, they do not wholly understand it or speak it without twisting it somewhat. Um, in 1801, a priest in Albuquerque, a Spanish priest said, The people here are genisaros, they're mulatos, and mestizos. Some have Spanish blood, but it's not a lot. They think they're Spaniards. They say they're Spanish, but they're not. And he said and that they, continues to this yeah, very day. And he said they speak, <laughs> they speak Castilian poorly. I'm not saying this to knock our ancestors or to knock us. It's just the, going back to this idea that um, people, you know, I read Fray Angelico Chavez. I, I, his his translation here is where he uses the term Spaniards. You know, that's not what he was referring mm -hmm. to the local people as. Um, there's this idea of of the language uh, being um, archaic. So so the idea that well, Dominguez in 1776 or that priest in Albuquerque in 1801. They would not have recognized the pure Castilian Spanish of the 1500s they were hearing. That's hard to believe. I mean, that would have only been 100 mm -hmm. years earlier, 150 years earlier. For them to not recognize old Spanish would have been uh, almost impossible. How come they couldn't recognize it, but we can? I find that really <laughs> hard to believe. Um, what they were hearing, right. in my opinion, was a Spanish that was an amalgam of Spanish from Spain, it's there. We, you know, hola, que tal, como estas, hablamos español. We, we all speak Spanish, but you're, you remember the, the Genisaros were the servant class for this in the 1700s for about four or five generations. They were helping raise the kids of even the elite in New Mexico, and the elite would have been barely middle class in Mexico City, but their pronunciation would definitely have entered into our Spanish. How can oh, how can sure. it not have just like those uh, Mexican Indians that came with Oñate and came up uh, over the centuries? They're speaking Spanish, but they speak it with an accent. Why wouldn't they? It's not their mother tongue, and they're they're interacting with people from Spain, people from Mexico who are Spanish but speaking Spanish. It can't possibly be archaic pure spanish from castile it, it's it's impossible yeah. it doesn't make any sense and that's what cracks me up about that um the quote from the milagro beanfield war when he's like they pronounce their c's and z's with the castilian th sound and i'm like bro i never heard my <laughs> grandparents not, or my great grandparents well, not only that, ever the, speak the, like the historical that. chronology is completely wrong in that quote the the list the 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 soft season disease that comes much later. Um, no one mm -hmm. was saying speaking like that uh, in the 1500s. That's a later yeah. development in Spain. We have to remember Castilian dialect, like the civilización, dame una cerveza, por favor. You know that Spanish from Spain that we hear in modern times. Right. Um, uh, that was not being uh, spoken here. That's later. That. The idea that New Mexicans speak like that is not true at all. In fact, um, if you really listen to how we speak in northern New Mexico, it to me, it sounds probably more like how Genisaro Indians spoke Spanish than 
any colonist from 1598. That's impossible. If our language was frozen in time, we would have a dead language. It would be it would be mm-hmm. dead. It's not a dead language. It's like to say, well, I'm I'm just there's there's the Onyate colonist and then there's me. That that's that's <laughs> impossible. We're we're up twelve generations have passed of blending and combining. And you know, people get upset with me. They say I'm trying to reject our Spanish past. It's like I'm, that's not what I'm doing. I'm I'm adding to what we know. Uh, I'm just adding that it's not just Spanish. It's uh, it's Mexican Indian, it's Genisado Indian, it's Puebloan, and then American. Look, in Span- in New Mexico, Spanish, um, uh, you, you might say, uh, my, my grandparents from Mora used to speak, actually, they spoke very clearly. They say, Si, sí, mijo, fuimos a la sierra, montados a caballo. But the cousins up in the mountains would say, Si, sí, fuimos a montar caballo. Si, sí, fuimos, like the, 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 the language, of, we weren't close to universities like Salamanca or uh, Mexico City. So the language almost unravels over the centuries. Right. And it, it's like when my dad calls me up on the phone and he's like, hey, que tal indo? Yeah. I mean, you know? <laughs> that's just how we speak. And I'm proud of it. But it, we don't have to turn it into 16th century Castilian to be proud of it. Right. You know, we also see, say, pues mira, vamos al show. Yep. <laughs> the moon beer, the moon beer. That that's American. That's yeah. Well, that's English. <laughs> that reflects our history. We're not part of Spain or Mexico anymore. We became part of the American system starting in 1850 and that changed how we speak too. So it, it's kind of like our bloodlines. It's difficult to peel back and try to say, well, I'm only Spanish or anything. It's like trying to take the eggs out of a pancake batter. It's mm-hmm. impossible. So, I, I uh, when I was in graduate school, um, uh, our university has uh, um, um, a campus out uh, near Taos, near Rancho de Taos, called mm-hmm. Fort Bergwin, and it's just down the road from Rancho de Taos and, and Taos uh, Pueblo, and the Taos uh, town, I guess you would call it. Um, and I remember uh, the local people that that you know worked at Fort Bergwin to you know at, in the kitchen and servicing the the different facilities there all of them were basically novo mexicanos from the north and i got to talking to them once because you know as, as we were talking uh, before we started recording about how i, I collect uh, chicano music and mexican mm-hmm. music here from the southwest and i try to dig like for the old vinyl and uh, i was asking them if they knew of any places around taos where i could find like authentic novo mexicano music on vinyl because i wanted to get some i didn't have any in my collection and then they're like, well, what kind of music are you looking for? And I say, well, you know, I'm from Texas and we call ourselves Tejanos in Texas and we have Tejano music and we have people like Little Joe and uh, Ramirena. And they're like, oh, we know those guys. Yeah. And that's Chicano music. And, I'm, and it kind of startled me because I didn't expect to hear this lady that worked in the kitchen at Fort Bergwin as we're interacting about music, tell me, yeah, we're Chicanos. You're a Chicano just like us. You know, she's that, those are the words that came out of her mouth. And, and that kind of circumvented uh, and subverted my entire idea that I had about people from northern New Mexico in terms of, you know, what I had listened, I had heard and read in, 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 in some books about Novo Mexicano history had always led me to believe that most people, if not all, just considered themselves to be uh, pure Spanish. And then this lady's telling me, yeah, we're Chicanos here, too. And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. You know, I, I didn't well, expect to hear that. So it, it goes back to what you're saying. It's 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 a lot more nuanced and a lot more well, complex. And it's a lot more interesting. But it is right? more interesting. The truth is always yeah. more it interesting. It is. You don't have to invent anything. That, uh, it's with our language. It's with our food. Our food is, uh, we have chile from Mexico. We have corn and frijoles and uh, calabazas from the Pueblo people. You're throwing some... People, you throw in some uh, uh, pork from Spain and some garlic and onions, and that's what makes it interesting, right? I mean, and that's the same thing with our language and even our music. You know, um, uh, we have, and, and believe me, we have unique cultural attributions here, but so does Chihuahua, so does Oaxaca, so does Yucatan. I, I've had people tell me, well, you know, we're, we're, we're not mexican because we're just so unique from them i'm like well we're unique in the same way that all these other regions of mexico are unique 
Um, but we also fit in with Mexico to a point. Now we're American, but but I think it's it's something that we really we really need to think about what we mean when we say things. For example, on Facebook, I love going to the fans of uh, New Mexico Spanish music. They have a there's a Facebook page. And it says fans, something like that. I don't know if I have it right. Fans of New Mexico Spanish music. And I go and I'm like, these are all Mexican songs. There's nothing Spanish or from Spain. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> they do volver, volver. And, you know, uh, you know. Um, I'm like, where's the actual New Mexican music? Well, hear some of that. Your, your actual New Mexican music is going to be your th- things like alabados from the penitentes or your alabanzas, the, the rural songs that are religious about saints or your inditas, your indita de Manuel Maez or Placida Romero or, you know, um, the, these are your New Mexico song. But that canon of music is kind of limited, you know. So so we have mm-hmm. a lot of Mexican music as part of our... And, and a lot of Tejano music, too. I was listening to the yeah. station uh, that plays it. I forget what it's called, but but I was listening to it and they played a lot of Tejano Standards played by New Mexican yeah. bands. I'm well, like, yeah, oh, I, I mean, that to me, Al Hurricane music sounds a lot like Tejano music, and to me, Tejano music sounds a lot yeah. like Mexican music. So, I mean, you know, yeah, well, there's yeah, differences, well, but yeah, you, well, maybe that's another episode, okay? But, but, <laughs> that's, uh, different, but um, that's a different episode, it's different, yeah. like we're different from Mexico. I mean, you know, te- Texas exactly. was part of Mexico, um, and and so you have those cultural roots there. If from Texas going into Nuevo León and Monterrey, they're they're there. They're mm-hmm. connected, you know. And we're connected to Chihuahua, you know. That's that's what what what, what this is about. Our uh, going back to this mythology that we have that our Spanish is different. It is different, but it's not from Spain necessarily. Just like Tejano Spanish is different you know it, it it has its own lilt its own cadence uh but mm-hmm. we have a, a uniqueness here but i i do think like um curly like you were saying in in the introduction you know we have places like atrisco and analco these are places that have mesoamerican roots uh not just linguistically but genetically and historically and that's part of our story I think what we have to uh, try to get beyond is this trying to separate ourselves. I see it all the time with, with the subgroups here in New Mexico. And sometimes I, I, I like it and sometimes it gets me a little nervous. Mm-hmm. Well, you had mentioned um, Pascuala Bernal earlier and, you know, Bernalillo is named after her. Yeah. And I'm like, Bern- Bernalillo County is like named after this Nawa woman. Yeah. who was the wife of uh, Griego. Uh, was it Juan Griego? Yeah. Um, but what, if you meet a Griego today, they only talk about Juan Griego, right? Well, like, they're, um, they're like, yeah, we're, our ancestry comes from Greece. And I'm like, yeah, but what about this woman? Like, that's... <laughs> and then her kids, if you read the documents, I think her oldest son, they call him in the documents a Nahuatlato, like a speaker of Nahuatl, and that he served as an interpreter for... Uh, Nahuatl speakers, the Spanish crown, and to Pueblo people. So there's like this really cool intermixing right off the bat of all these linguistic traditions. Well, that's and the this, yeah. yeah, and this purity myth just wipes all of that away. Yeah. It ignores well, all of it. Well, that's what I'm saying. I see it all the time. People, people say I descend from Hernan Martin Serrano, the Spaniard that came with Oñate from Zacatecas. I do too. We all do. <laughs> That's another thing. We all descend from these people. It's not <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, a thing that only you can claim or one person can claim. We all, that's like the genetic foundation of Hispanic New Mexico. But but you're right. It, it, it kind of frustrates me because I get it. You know, we descend from Hernan Martin Serrano, but we descend from his two sons, Hernan and Luis, who are both mestizos. They were both mestizos, mm-hmm. so we descend from their moms too, who were Native American, and and I mean I don't know what else to say. Um, I don't know what you guys think. To me, it's just uh, it's selective memory, it's selective history, it's even mm-hmm. uh, racism, you know. To, to oh, you know, I want to just dis- I just want to identify with the the Spanish side, you know, with uh, 
you know, put up statues of uh, Europeans and say, that's my culture, the European guy on the statue. And if you take it down, you're attacking my culture, which is completely false. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because that's one of the things that I saw happen over the whole, um, the, you know, the, the fight that happened over these statues of, of Juan de Oñate was people who would normally, you know, be hardcore, like, no, I'm Spanish. Yeah. This is my ancestry. Yeah. They kind of brought out that indigenous ancestry when it was convenient. They would be like, well, how can I be racist if my great-great-grandmother was Navajo? And I'm like, bro, that's the first time you've probably ever claimed your great-great-grandmother, <laughs> and you're claiming it to be a jerk. Like, that's the... the they they. I mean, you saw it all play out with the statues coming down and people that should normally be united. Uh, this like all these divisions came up over identity and an identity based purely on, well, I grew up speaking this language like I speak Spanish, therefore I'm Spanish. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, I speak English, bro. I'm not British. Yeah. Like, well, that's, the you know, thing. <laughs> Part of it is we, we have quite an inheritance here. Uh, Ruben, you pointed it out earlier. We were talking about the term Espanol and and the, the loaded term that it is. And so we, we have that yeah. double whammy that was passed down to us that it's and, you know, in a way you can't blame people in a, in a stratified society like that. It's always better to be the Espanol than the Mestizo or the Indio or the, you know, the Africano. But, you know, you, you get that. And then all of a sudden we become part of the United States and they don't want us to be a state because we're Mexicans and uh, mixed blood people. And uh, according to them, savage Indians. So it takes us 60 years. We had enough people in 1850, but it took us 60 yeah. years because of that uh, racism. You know, um, one politician or a, a general, I think, uh, in New Mexico in the 1880s, 1870s or 1880s said, we should declare war on Mexico again and make them take back New Mexico because they did not <laughs> like us. So the only way it could happen for them to like us was for us to all of a sudden become Spanish. And it goes back mm. to, uh, there was a very insulting piece in the newspaper, I think in Las Vegas, New Mexico, that was it, uh, very derogatory about us New Mexicans. So Eusebio Chacon, a writer, a poet, a, a very well-versed man, said something like, uh, I am a descendant of Oñate or his colonists and the blood that runs in my veins are those of conquistadors. I think he meant well. He was trying to stand up for his people, but I think his tactic was wrong. I mean, he should have. Yeah, we cover that exact quote yeah. in um, episode three of this podcast. Yeah. So he... um. Yeah, and he goes off like there's no, uh, you know, no blood flows through my veins other than that of mm. the Spanish noble. And yeah. if I have any Indian blood, it's it's so little as to be practically nothing. Now I'm going to go eat some frijoles with uh, corn and, and Chile, some Chile. Tortillas. <laughs> tortillas. You know, that's what we all do, man. I love that food, man. Right? There's different strands here that you can pull to try to get at the source of where this stems from because obviously Chacon is one one thread you can pull on. You can also, you know, uh, tug on, 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 on those novels that were being written at the turn of the of the you know, the late nineteen hundreds and, and the early twentieth century where you have these white women that are talking about the Spanish uh, noble Southwest yeah. and the Caballeros. The Dons and the Donas. So, the Dons and the Yeah, exactly. So so this mythology doesn't have one single source. This, this The Spanish Southwestern mythology has different threads that you You're can tug on. You're absolutely right. And, 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 and they kind of coalesce and come together sometime in the middle of the 20th century to produce this idea that especially when you begin to get a lot of Mexican immigrants into the U.S. that are coming in and, and especially through Texas and then a lot of them come up through El Paso and end up making their way all the way to California, Los Angeles. And so people that are passing through New Mexico, I mean, you do have some Mexican immigration in New Mexico, but it's not as as uh, as big as it's been in Texas and California. 
And and so people to distinguish themselves from those immigrant Mexicans, a lot of them who tend to be people who come from rural communities, who come from poor communities because they're seeking a better life or what have you. People here in the in 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 in, in the Southwest, you know, people who have been here for generations begin to try to make a distinction between themselves and those lowly you know, Mexicans that that are recent yeah. immigrants. And so this this idea to adopt a, a superior sort of culture, a Spanish culture and attach your identity to that begins to sort of take hold uh, sometime during the 1940s and 1950s. And I think that's when, when the movie of the Milagro Beanfield War sort of takes place, like roughly around the generation yeah. of those people that begin to sort of assume the Spanish identity yeah, of that, sorts. That, that, maybe. You know, you're, you're, you're touching on some good points. Ruben. I mean, um, also, it's that period in the like 1910, 1920, when you have these pioneer days being established throughout small towns throughout the United States to celebrate pioneers. Well, in mm. Santa Fe, it becomes okay. the entrada. That's where that comes from, this idea of celebrating, you know, um, conquistadors and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, the coming together, you know. Of, of the the Spanish and the Pueblo people in a very um, kind of um, mythological way. And, and you're right, that feeds all that, you know, but, you know, I've also wondered why someone like my dad from Mora, he, I wonder if that was more of a city thing, you know, in the, in Mora, my dad used to go see movies with Pedro Infante uh, when he was a kid in the late 1930s, early 1940s. And he wanted to be a Mexican mariachi and, there was no pushback there. You know, yeah. that I, I think it was also something about the, the more you in the, the people had to interact more where the where the uh, white American major was the majority that that tended to be like you just said, Ruben, this idea of uh, of being uh, Spanish, Spanish and not Mexican. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's uh, it ties into our language. But, you know, I keep trying as state historian, I'm, you know, I, I have taken some heat just so you know, from uh, some quarters, even friends, and they're still my friends, but they disagree with me. And uh, we, we joke about it, but you know, um, I, I, I think uh, it's important that we be honest about our history because as you said earlier, Curly, the truth is much more interesting. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's a saying uh, that the truth will set you free, man. I mean, you know, mm. why not be honest? You can still study Hernan Martin Serrano, but study who his uh, wife or the woman who is the mother of his sons here in New Mexico, because those were the first real New Mexicans, the sons who were part Spanish and part uh, Tewa Indian, Tano Indian, whatever. You know, I don't we don't know for sure what one of them was, but but they're there and they're they're in the records as mestizos and their mom was a New Mexican native and those children of uh, of uh, Juan Griego and uh, Bartolome Montoya, who, who are part Mexican Indian, we need to learn about all sides, the, the whole story. It, it's 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 much more interesting, and it does connect us to Mexico because New Mexico does not even have a Spanish past without Mexico. You know, one of the mm-hmm. most frustrating things I've heard, and I'm sure you guys have, is that. Well, you know, there was no such thing as Mexico before 1821, so we couldn't possibly be connected before then. It's like, <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about? We're completely connected. <laughs> we were governed from Mexico City. Uh, the Catholic Church in Durango, Mexico, governed us. Uh, uh, we were constantly moving back and forth along the Camino Real, uh, people of mixed blood and bringing foods and language, changed language, uh, back and forth this idea that we were uh, completely isolated uh, had nothing to do with mexico is just the do- the documents show that was not true at all well not only that but when they say that <clears throat> they're like they're conflating the mexican nation right that existed in 1821 with the city state of mexico which tenochtitlan became mexico city and when the Spaniards came, you know, started warring with the Mexican people. They called them Mexicanos. Yeah. And and so, you know, they called the language Mexicano. They, you know, they, they speak Mexicano. These are Mexicano people. These are Indios Mexicanos. And I always bring that up like, well, wait a minute. If, um, if we can't be Mexicans because there was no such thing as Mexico, 
how could our state be called New Mexico <laughs> if if Mexico didn't exist? Well, we were called, <laughs> like, like they, they get it all confused. We got they don't, New you know. Mexico, Nuevo Mexico. La Nueva Mexico goes back to the 1580s. And that's because yeah. they thought they were going to find a new city of Mexico up here yeah. with, with uh, native peoples and the same amount of wealth. Obviously, they didn't. But that's why Viagra, uh, his... Uh, Epic poem is called La Historia de la Nueva México. It's named after the city of Mexico. But even his epic poem, which is propaganda, <laughs> propaganda. Oh, for sure. But he even opens it mentioning the Mexicans, the Mexicans mm-hmm. coming to the land where the Mexicans came from. So it's quite interesting that even that, even in that the the Mexica, the the Nahuatl people are in that book, you know that yeah. So it it, it you can't we can't we can't get away from that. And I don't know why we would want to, uh, except for just prejudice and racism. I mean, um, my mom growing up, my mom used to say, "Why is there so much uh, bad feelings against Mexicans in Mexico in this country? They've never done anything to this country. I mean, we got into war with Germany and." twice and now we just go oh here's germans welcome come on in we love german people you know um there just seems to be this animosity and i don't know if it goes back to leyenda negra europe where uh, protestant england and catholic spain used to get into it you know but um so you have it playing out maybe again here over the last 200 years with protestant united states coming into conflict with catholic mexico uh, that might be part of it. Uh, also, the first two international wars the United States got into, with the exception of fighting England, were against Hispanic countries, uh, Mexico and then Spain. So I don't know if that's mm-hmm. part of it, but um, I-, I think it's something I, I think uh, new Mexicans should embrace. It doesn't mean they have to hate Spain or reject Spain. It just means uh being honest and open about our real history, our language, and our culture. Absolutely. Well, you know what I like to say? I say the truth is like medicine, sir. It doesn't always taste good, but it's always good for you. Amen. I want to thank Rob Martinez for joining us on this very special episode of Tales from Atlantis, and uh, we will see you next time. Timoitase. Y que viva la raza. Orale. That was good. Thank you for listening to Tales from Atlantis, a project of the Chimali Institute of Mesoamerican Arts. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. You can do this by visiting talesfromastlantis.com and clicking support the podcast. Your continued support will help keep the podcast ad-free and independent. Until next time, timoitase.